Amen. Luke chapter number 17, we're going to begin with verse number 11, and we're going to go all the way down to verse number 19 throughout the course of this sermon. So this section of scripture, we're going to begin with verse number 11. Now, this is directly uh, or shortly before the Lord goes to the cross, before his passion, um, but he's journeying, and it says in verse number 11, and it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And he entered into a certain village. There met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, before we get going any further, let me go ahead and, and, and let's go ahead and start here with verse number 11. Now, I want you to point, I want to point out something to you. Samaria in the life of a Jewish person was one of the last places they wanted to go. This is the place where it, it, it was worse than a ghetto to them. They did not want to go there for any reason whatsoever, but the Lord had the cross on his mind, and Samaria was between him and the cross, and he went there. But I want you to know there's something else about Samaria. Samaria, it, it was looked down upon. These were considered second-class, not even citizens of Israel, but they were considered second-class individuals. They were despised and rejected of the Jews, but Jesus went to Samaria anyhow. I want you to know that many of the greatest miracles and the greatest teachings that Jesus did and performed were in Samaria. The least of the places that all the Jews wanted to be, the place where everybody held their nose and covered their eyes and looked away, that was the very place that Jesus went and ministered. Listen to the whosoever's. The whosoever is the Samaritan. The whosoever is the adulteress. The whosoever is those that are downtrodden and those that are broken. The whosoever is the drunkard and those that are bitter of heart. The whosoever are those that are afflicted of the mind and entangled in sin and in bondage and in despair. But Jesus decided to go through Samaria because those were the people that needed a touch from God. And a lot of times it's the people that don't think that they need God will miss God. And the people that are desperate for God, he, listen, he will find a way to your village. It doesn't matter how broke down or busted or how much you stink or how much you think you're worthless or anything like that. I want you to know if he would go through Samaria, he'll come to wherever you are. He will meet you where you're at. This is why the church, this is why the church has been given the mission to go out into the highways and the byways, to go out to those that are broken and downtrodden because those of us that have been there in the gutter know that if God touched us, he can touch anyone. Amen. And the Lord teaches a lot of things in Samaria. And this is one of the greatest lessons that you'll see. He, he's, in verse number 11, though, I want you to see, he did not avoid this place. A lot of times, you know, you get around church folks, they avoid certain kind of folks. Amen. They avoid certain kind of folks. But God didn't. He went straight through it. Amen. He went straight through it. And one of the things that you see is that there were 10 men that were lepers. 
and they stood afar off. Now, the, the lepers were an interesting group. This is a, a disease of the body, a disease of the flesh. It was an affliction. You even see Moses' sister. How many of y'all remember her, Miriam? She got it because she was bitter about Moses. She didn't like his leadership, and God struck her with leprosy. Amen? Now, one of the things I want you to see, though, is that these lepers, they could not be around every other folk. They were, they were, uh, they had to be cast off from society. And the cast offs, how many of you know sometimes if you've been cast off, you find other cast offs and lock arms with them? You, found, you, you find solitude in the gutter. Amen? This is, you know, sometimes when you're down and out, you'll find sometimes some inconvenient friends down there. And so these lepers all band together, but I want to point out something to you. They were obeying the law because they were separate from society. So they were obeying the law in that respect, but I want you to see something. When they saw Jesus, they cried out to Jesus. You know what that tells me? That tells me that one of the other trips that the Lord made through Samaria had reverberated throughout the whole community. That means that when somebody got touched by Jesus, they shared their testimony to the other folks. They said, I want you to know that if God can touch me, he can touch you too. This is why we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony because look, Look, we're all unrighteous. We're all undeserving. We've all fallen and come short of the glory of God. We all have been down the road of sin and affliction. And if God has touched you, you have a Christian duty and responsibility to tell others that if God can do it for you, he can do it for them too. And not hold your nose while you talk to them. Now, one of the things that you see, though, is that they cried out, not only Jesus, but also Master. So they knew that he wasn't just a good teacher. They knew that he wasn't just some prophet. They knew he was the Master of life. They cried out, Jesus, Master. That tells you that some no-name somebody went before them and told them who Jesus was. Could have even been the woman at the well. Could have even been her. He, remember whenever Jesus told her everything about her life and she went and told the whole village and those lepers were probably saying, what? The Messiah has come? The son of David is here? Oh, praise God, I want to see him. And they were probably looking every single day since they heard that testimony when, when's he coming? Is he going to come back? Where is he going? Where has he been? I'm ready for him. I want to touch from him. They were probably on the outskirts of town looking and, and searching for God. Amen. How many of you know that whenever you search for God, you'll find him when you search for him with what? All your heart. And they were looking. They were looking, and when they saw him, they said, Jesus, Master. And I want you to know, I want you to know how powerful your testimony is, even if you never hear about it. I want you to know there's going to be things on this side of eternity that God won't let you know. There may, be, there may be people that you have shared your faith with or maybe they've just seen your life. You know, I heard a minister say there's five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. And he said most of the time people won't read the first four, but that fifth one, they read it every day. They read that fifth gospel every day. What kind of gospel are you giving folks? Are you giving folks this, that Sunday gospel or that 
everyday gospel that God is good? What kind of gospel, what kind of gospel does your life testify of? And I want you to know that somebody got the right gospel in Samaria. These 10 lepers caught the right gospel. They said, Jesus, they called him by his name, didn't they? That's his name. They called him by his name. They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And look at what, he, what Jesus said in verse number 14. To the outcast, to the reject, to the broken down, when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus told them to get up and go. And you know what they did? They got up and went. They acted, they responded to the spoken word of the Savior. In other words, they did what he said to do. They didn't barter with God. They didn't say, yeah, but how are we supposed to go? When are we supposed to go? What are we? They didn't do any of that kind of back and forth with Jesus. He just said, get up and go. They didn't say, there's not another word recorded that they said. Of those 10 right there, not another word. He just said, get up and go show yourself to the priest. Now, that was what they were called to do by the Levitical priesthood. You see, back then in the Old Testament, the Levitical priests pretty much ran everything. And, and whenever they were considered lepers, nobody could say that they were clean unless the Levitical priest said they were clean. Even whenever they had mold or mildew in a house, Levitical priests had to go in and say, hey, it's clean or it's not clean. If it wasn't clean, they had to tear it down. A leper would stay out there on the outcast till a Levitical priest said, okay, you can come back. And so this is why they, the Lord was upholding the old covenant because how many of you know he didn't institute the new until he offered himself on the cross? With his shedding of his blood, he brought in the New Testament. So up until then, his Old Testament, and so he was upholding that. He told them, go show yourself to the priests. As they went by faith, they were cleansed. They were healed when they responded to the word of Christ. You know how much value and how much power there is when you respond to what Jesus tells you to do? Amen. Jesus is looking for people to obey him. He's looking for people to respond to him, people to listen, believe his word, to believe his word. Now, there were 10 that cried out, and there were 10 that went, and there were 10 that had faith, and there were 10 that were cleansed. And look what happens in verse number 15. And one of them, somebody say one. That would be 10%. One of the 10. It says in verse number 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. And he said with a loud voice, look what it says. And with a loud voice glorified God. What did this fellow do? He turned back and he didn't say, oh, thank you, Lord. He didn't whisper. He, he didn't silently nod his head towards the Lamb of God. He didn't lift up a silent voice of praise. He didn't give a golf clap to the King of Kings. It said he turned back when he saw. He looked down and he saw that he was healed. He knew who healed him. He knew it wasn't some magical potion. He knew it wasn't something that he had done. He knew it was by God's mercy that God touched him. 
And when he saw that God had touched him, he turned around and with a loud voice glorified who? God. Praise God. I'm healed. I'm set free. I've been delivered with a loud voice. Listen, don't golf clap God. If God's given you a shout, let it out. If God has done something for you, testify. There's power, there's power in the testimony of the saint. And sometimes you've got to shout doubt out. Sometimes you've got to shout it out. Listen, there's some things that won't happen till you get going in worship. Till you start, look, till you start thanking God for what he's done, you won't see what he's going to do. There may be more that God wants to do for you, but until you get thankful for what he's done, you won't see it. God, God will not move in an unthankful heart. God will not move in an unthankful heart. And he did all 10 of these guys. He, he touched all of them. But there's something special about this guy that he touched here in verse number 15. This one guy that turned around. You know what it was? This guy, this guy, he felt the touch of God. When God healed him, look, it went past his skin. See, leprosy is a skin disease. Leprosy is an outward affliction on the body. But when Jesus, by his word, spoke and healed this guy's outward body, listen to me, the touch from God went from the outside to the inside. It went from his skin to his soul. It went down into his bones. It got down in him like gravy. It got way down deep on the inside and ministered to him in his broken places. When he realized, when he realized God touched me, God had mercy on me, it got down in his spirit. It got down in his soul. He didn't let it stay superficial. In other words, he didn't let a Sunday touch not carry over to Monday. He held on to it. He let it get down into the deep recesses of his heart. He let it do all that it desired to do. In other words, he let the touch of God on the outside change him on the inside. And if you're not allowing God to touch you on the inside, you're missing the best part because the touch on the outside can only temporarily relieve the pain and the pressure and the problem, but the touch on the inside is what will set you free. And the power of God touched this guy. It got down in his soul. It was a soulful healing. All 10 of them could have had it, but one saw God had mercy on me. When was the last time you just looked up and said, Lord, thank you for having mercy on me? Look, don't be like those other nine. Be like the one. Because every single person, God died for you on the cross. God extended mercy for you because you were in sin. You were a bondage of your past. You were in bondage to the things that you've done in this life and in, in, in your sin. And God sent Jesus to this earth, God in the flesh, on the cross for your sin, to pay the price for your sin. 
His mercy was extended to you at Calvary. And until you let that get down in your soul, you're going to be like the other nine. You're going to be like the other nine. But this one, he said, oh, God, oh, God, you've been merciful to me. And he didn't golf clap it. He didn't, he didn't golf clap it and walk on out the door and say, well, bless the Lord, I'm going to go play golf today. He turned around and said, now I'm a worshiper. It's amazing when God touches the soul, how a, a, a leper goes from a leper to a healed person and from a healed person to a worshiping person. The, the, the touch of the soul will create a worshiping heart. See, worshipers are created by the touch of God. You can't make yourself a worshiper. God makes you a worshiper when he touches your soul. When he touches your soul, you may not be able to sing pretty like me, right? Or her or them. None of us can sing. But listen, it's a sweet sound in his ear. It's a sweet sound in his ear. See, whenever we sing, we don't compare our voices to one another because God doesn't care what tune you're in. I, I hit them all. I'm, I'm like a shotgun. I sing them one way one day and another way another day. I don't even know what tune I'm in. And you know what's amazing is it doesn't matter to God because it comes from the heart. It comes from the heart. And that's what the Lord is looking for those that worship him. Remember Jesus said that? The Lord is looking for those that worship him in spirit and in truth. You gotta have both. You gotta have both. You can have, you know, a lot of people, to, especially today, they don't want nothing to do with the truth. They just want all spirit, 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 but you're gonna get led in error. The truth holds you on the straight and narrow, on that narrow path. The spirit is what gives life, and the truth is what sets you free. It gets you on that narrow path. You've got to have both. And this guy turned around and he glorified God with a loud voice. The touch, that touch reverberated. It hit every single bone in his body and got down into his soul. And I want to know when was the last time God touched you like that? When was the last time God touched you like that? Because look, God don't change. You do. God don't get old. You do. God don't get weary. You do. God don't change. We do. God doesn't get hard-hearted. We do. God doesn't forget about us. We forget about him. Come on now. And the good news is, the good news is, God has not forgotten about you. God has not changed. God is just as merciful today as the first day you met him. God loves you just as much today as the first day you encountered him. God is just forgiving today as he ever has been. His mercies are new, listen to me, every morning. Don't let the devil lie to you. His mercies are new every morning, and you need those new mercies every day. You need those new mercies every day, and if you really allow that mercy of God to touch your soul, it will change you even today. Listen, you don't have to leave today the way that you came in. You can enter into a new path. You can become a worshiper of God if you allow God to touch your soul today. It says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free is what the Lord said. 
Now, one of the things that I want to get into is this, this loud worship. It was unashamed, right? It was unashamed. Do you know that deliverance, deliverance makes a worshiper? If you've ever been delivered or set free of a bondage, you're a worshiper. You're a worshiper. And if you've ever been delivered or set free and you're not a worshiper, you have forgotten where you've come from. You need to remind yourself of what God did for you. You need to remind yourself. You, one of the things that, that the, the, the psalmist did, that David did, is they would remind themselves, remind themselves of all of the good things that God has done. You see, in the psalms, a lot of the psalms would be singing about what God had done through Moses. When God delivered Israel out of bondage, they would rehearse. God brought us out of prison. God set us free from slavery. God has broken the bondage off of our lives. And they were still singing about that in David's day. What were they doing? They were reminding themselves of who God was to them. Amen? And this is one of the things that you've got to do because every morning you wake up with you and you get tired of being you. You get tired of things going on in your life. You've got to remind yourself that God loves you. You've got to remind yourself that God has set you free, that God is merciful to even folks like us. And the more that you do that, the more you'll grasp how that touch hit you that first time. Well, with a loud voice, this guy turned back to God. But the Lord said something. Well, let's, let's continue in verse number 15. It said, he turned back with a loud voice. He glorified God. And it says, he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. I know, most commentators say those other nine were Jews. That's the, that's the implication this one was a Samaritan, and, and, and all the other nine turned back, but this one, he, he came, and when God touched him, he went to the feet of Jesus, and he worshiped, and he gave thanks. Listen, he put his face at his feet. In other words, he humbled himself. And until you get into that place where you will humble yourself before God, you will not receive further touch from God. One of the prerequisites to revival in God's people is to humble yourself. Humble yourself, right? Seek his face. In the humbling of yourself, you're saying, I can't do it and I need you. You are God. You are God. In the humbling of yourselves at the feet of God, you will find in the flesh you're at the weakest, but in the spirit you're at the strongest. Just how powerful it is to be humble. To, to be humble is to come to the end of your strength and to become completely dependent on God. Until you do that, you've disqualified yourself from further touch. I didn't say first touch, I said further touch. Because God ministered to these guys. And this guy wanted more. This guy, how many of you know when you, when you found something, you don't let it go. And this Samaritan, he found something. When God touched him, he found something. And he went back to the well for more. Come on now. He went back to the well for more. 
How many of you are thirsty today? How many of you, when, when was the last time you took a cool drink of water from the Lord? You see, this guy, when he got this touch from God, it just, it went all through him. And he, look, he was commanded. How many of you know that if, you, if this guy was a leper, he could not even go home? He couldn't go see his children or his wife. He couldn't see his family. He couldn't provide. He couldn't work. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't be around anyone. And he had the opportunity to go back home. He was completely and totally cleansed. All he had to do is go to the priest and show himself. And then he could go home. How many of you have ever been away from home for a long time and you come home and you're ready to see everybody? But something happened. He would rather turn around and spend time at the feet of Jesus than be with those people he missed so much. In other words, he loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He put God as number one. There's so much you could get into about this, but this goes into, you know, the, the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. God has an order for your life, and the order starts first and foremost with God and God alone. He will have no other beside him. And too many of us serve God casually. We serve God or think about God when it's convenient, but God is God on the good days and he's God on the bad days. He's God in the mountains and he's God in the valleys. He's God all the time and he deserves to be worshiped all the time and he deserves to be honored all the time. And one of the things that I want you to see is that this guy comes back to Jesus and in, he, he foregoes this reunion with his family. He puts it off for a time because he's got business at hand. Listen, God touched his soul. God touched his soul and he could not carry on. He had to stop and get down on his knees and glorify the king of kings. That's when you know God's touched your soul. That's when you know, when you put other things to the side and say, you know what, I, I'll, I'll watch that show tomorrow. I'll go, I'll go visit them tomorrow. Right now, it's me and Jesus. I've got, to, I've got to get to him and worship him. Look, you were created a worshiper. Who you worship is up to you. Some of you worship yourselves. Some of you worship your spouses. Some of you worship your job. Some of you worship your political party. Some of you worship the Lord. Some of you worship who knows what. But everything everybody does is a form of worship. But what are you worshiping? What is the priority of your life? God will serve none. He will be served by all. He will not be second place. And until you get this right, until you get this right, you're not going to experience the power of God in your life. You're going to exempt yourself from God's further development in your life. But this guy, he stops, and I can just visualize just how long. I don't know how about you, but whenever I've been gone away from family for a long time, I just, I can't wait to get around them. I can't wait. How many of you excited about being in a reunion with a family member? You just can't wait to be with them. 
And then God touches this guy and he puts all of those emotions on the side because of his devotion to God. Emotions to the side, devotion to God presides. And he goes down on his face into the dirt and he humbles himself. He humbles himself before the Messiah and he worships him right there. Isn't it amazing how much how much God can do when he touches a soul. Look, this guy didn't have, this guy didn't have the New Testament for him. He didn't have an instruction book that when, when God does this, that means you do that. He didn't have that. This, this was a real encounter. He really got touched in his soul and he responded the right way. See, God's not looking for you to do a program. He's looking for you to give him your heart. He's not looking for you to do a program. He's looking for you to humble yourself. And when God really touches the soul, when God really touches the soul, we have no problem dropping to our feet and worshiping him. It is that soul deliverance that creates a worshiper's heart. The deliverance of the soul creates worship. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 51. Let me show you something over here. Isaiah chapter number 51. You can keep your place over there. We're going to come back. We're going to see what happens to this guy. In Isaiah 51. Look what it says in verse number one. Isaiah 51 verse one. We're going to read these three verses. It says, hearken unto me, you that follow after righteousness, you that seek the Lord, look unto the rock whence you are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence you are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and to Sarah that bare you, for I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. Listen, before we get into verse 3, God is telling the nation of Israel, you need to be reminded of what you came from. You know why he brought up Abraham and Sarah? You know why? Because they were the first Hebrews. You know why they were the first Hebrews? Because they responded to God's voice and they came out of her, right? They came out of her. And one of the things that you see is he, God takes them right back to the beginning. He said, don't you remember the rock that I brought you out of? Don't you remember you were nobody and nothing? You had no family, you had no heritage, and you had no hope. But I pulled you out of what you were in. I pulled you out of what you were in. I made you a people unto my own. That's exactly what he did for Abraham and for Sarah. He set them apart. He put his name on them. He gave them that, the, the ministry of circumcision. He said, you're my people. You're my people because you came out. You came out from among them. You separated yourself unto me like I asked you to do. You're mine. And when you go to Calvary, you do the same thing. You see, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you come out from the world. You separate yourself from every worldly entanglement. You, you have no further devotion, no further obligation to anybody whatsoever. You solely and completely give yourself unto God. And then from there, 
Christ lives in you. Galatians 2.20. The crucified life is one of the missing things in most people's walk today. One of the things I want you to see, though, is that he's calling them and reminding them back to Abraham and Sarah. I want you to know, just like I was telling you earlier, you need to be reminded of what God's done in your life. You need to be reminded that God didn't have to do what he did for you. It's because of God's mercy that he's given you an opportunity to be made righteous. Come on now. It, it's, it's not his... It's not so much that you deserved it because we all know none of us did. We were all guilty. We all stood condemned before God. Our sin had separated us. And I want you to know that it was God who bridged the gap, not you. It was God who bridged the gap. When Jesus went to Calvary, he bridged the gap once and for all, one-time sacrifice for all time. God on the cross shedding his holy blood for sinful man. And there upon that, your faith rests. And, and what he's saying is you need to be reminded of that. You need to think back of the testimony of your life because none of us deserve God's forgiveness, but because he is merciful, because he's long-suffering, he brought you out of the gutter. He brought you out from where you were. And that's what he's reminding them there. And look at verse number three. It said, for the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. How many of y'all know what a waste place is? That's a place of desolation and hurt. You know, a waste place is where, that's the, that's the part that you hide from everybody else. That's the part where you're broken behind the smile. Where you've got a limp, but you're trying to push through it. The waste place is a place where you've been hurt the deepest. Come on now. Come on. Look what he says. He will comfort. He will comfort all her waste places. How great is our God? Not only does he love you, not only will he set you free, not only will he bring you out of the place you've been, but he will comfort you in your pain and in your brokenness. Nobody will restore you like God will. Nobody can renew you like God. God is the one who makes, listen, all things new. God is the one that makes all things new. Nobody else will. No job will. No amount of money will. No car, no clothing, no house, nothing else will. No giving of yourself will. But it's God. It's God who comforts our waste places. And God alone is the one who can heal all our diseases. He said he will comfort all her waste places and he will make her wilderness like Eden. Oh, see, when God touches you, he, he, he takes that that was once barren and it begins to produce and flourish for God. Those places that were, that were barren and empty and dark and dusty and, and, and it was just dead on the inside God, when he touches 
Listen, when it goes past the outer flesh and it gets down to the soul, he creates in you a place of Eden, a garden for him to live. Do you remember Eden was that first place where God came down in the cool of the evening and he lived with Adam and Eve and he met them there? You see, God will take you in your broken places and make a place of meeting between you and him there. He'll come and visit you there. And he makes that that was once dead to become like Eden. There might be a part of you that you've cut off from the world. You don't want to go back to that thought. You don't want to go back to that life because it hurts so much. And it is like a desolate place. But I want you to know that is the very place God wants to touch. And when God touches it, it will become like Eden. It will become as a garden and God will be there. God will be there. So he will touch the wilderness and it'll make the wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Listen to this. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. In other words, when God touches your desert, when God touches your desolation, and he creates a garden for himself. He creates an Eden on the inside of your broken heart. He will make you sing. He will make you glorify him. It will cause you to not golf clap, but shout it out. When God touches you and God restores you and God heals you down in your broken recesses, God will create a voice of triumph, a shout to glorify the king. God will restore you. And when he does, you will glorify God for it. That's what he's saying. He's telling, he's telling Israel right there, you need to think back about what I've done for you. I didn't have to pull you out of where you came from, but I did. And when you go back to that place that God didn't have to do what he did for you, it will create an Eden in you. It will create a garden for the Lord to flourish again. Those, those dried up rivers will begin to start flowing again. Those flowers will start blooming again, and that may be the furthest thing from your mind right now, but I want you to know that God wants to touch you like that. I want you to know that God is a God of restoration and deliverance, and if you are not walking in the fullness of God, he wants to set you free today. He wants to break those pains of yesterday today, and only God can. Nothing else can do it. Nothing else can do it. Man's psychology can only touch the outside, but God can touch the inside. Man can medicate it. Man can mask it, but God can heal it. And too many of us, we settle for meditation. We, we settle for medicine and masking when God wants to set us free. When God wants to set us free. And God wants to do a work of restoration in you. Turn, turn back with me back over there to, to the book of Luke chapter 17. We're going to pick this up, go a little bit further. 
So whenever Jesus sees this guy at his feet, and the guy begins to worship him, one thing that he does is he doesn't tell the guy to stop worshiping him. Just like whenever Thomas, some people call Doubting Thomas, when he saw Jesus' hand in his side, he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't correct him. He said, yeah, yeah. This guy begins to worship the Lord because God had touched him. And look what happens in verse number 17. The guy was a Samaritan. I read that earlier. I don't know if you caught that, though. Not only did Jesus go down into the place where other Jews really didn't want to go, and especially would it minister to folks, not only did he go there, but the very one that he touched was a Samaritan. This is, this is, this is completely opposite of the way that everybody else did. Jesus touched the untouchable. He reached the unreachable. You know, he went down to the place where society had forgotten about folk. And he didn't forget about them. He didn't forget about them. He got down where they were. And he ministered to them. So this guy was a Samaritan, and he turns back, and this is a, this is important part. I want you to catch this. Verse number 17. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where... Are the nine. There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. Do you know what? The Lord extended mercy to ten, and only one responded. That shows you a lot of things. Number one, there's few that find life. It's offered to all. It's offered to the whosoever. It's, awful, it's offered to the anyone. To anyone in the world, God has offered himself. But few will come to him. Few will come to him. Secondly, secondly, God knows the ones he's offered mercy to. See, I read Matthew Henry. He said, God forgets our sins but he remembers the times he's given mercy and that should do something to us because if God's given you mercy you might want to respond to it because he remembers he you may forget but the Lord remembers the times in our lives that he's broken through God remembers those times he keeps count of them he said was there not ten he knew each and every one of them. There was 10. Where are the nine? You know where the nine were? The nine just wanted a handout. The nine wanted the gift. The one wanted the giver. Nine of them wanted a healing one of them wanted healer. Nine of them wanted deliverance. One wanted the deliverer. 
You see, there were nine of them that wanted the handout from God. They lived what I call the gimme Christianity. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I'm going to pray this, so you give me this. I want you to do this, so give me that, God. We live in a generation of gimme Christianity. Everybody wants God to give me, give me, give me. But God wants us to give ourselves to him. You see, we've got to make this transition from the give me Christianity to I give me to you, God. We've got to make that transition to the crucified life. On that other side is when we go from the handout to the one who extends the hand. You see, some people live for what people can give them. Sometimes this word is expressed as gratitude and ingratitude. And some people are ungrateful for what God's done. Some people live for the treats and the gifts in God's hand. And some live for God's touch just to worship him. And everybody makes a choice whether they're going to be one of the nine or one of the one. And, and it doesn't matter where you're from or, or where you've been because God's touch transcends whether you're a Jew or a Samaritan. It transcends your past, your present, your future. It's available one for all, but not all will come to the hand. Some are still stuck on the handout. And God wants to give himself to you. God is not withholding himself from you. God wants to take you into a deeper place. God wants to give you more than you've ever gotten. But in order to do it, you've got to stop looking for the handout and start holding on to the hand. So the give me Christianity is what we see, and it's nothing new. We make, I, I'm, I'll, I'm guilty. I, I say it all the time. Our generation looks, we want the healing, but not the healer. I say it all the time, but look, it's not new. It's not new. People were doing that to Jesus' face. I mean, are we surprised that people don't do it today? But the sad reality is, is that people still turn their back on Jesus today. They still go and get whatever they want to get in the form of a handout and they turn their back and never think another thought about God on their way out the door. But there are some precious souls. There are some precious souls that when that touch goes from their skin to their soul, they drop to their knees and they worship the Lamb of God and they give honor and thanks to the one whom it's due and they will not rise, amen? They will not rise, but they will worship. Just like the woman with the alabaster box. You remember her? She brought that alabaster box and she broke it over the feet of Jesus and everybody said, Don't, doesn't she know how much that's worth? We could, have, we could have sold all that and given to the poor. Remember what Jesus said? He said, you're always going to have the poor. You're always going to have the poor, but you're not always going to be able to do this. You're not always going to be able to do this. She, listen, she was giving her best to the one she loved the most. That's called worship. She was giving her best to the one she loved the most. That's worship. 
Now, now you know, well, who do I worship? Who do I give my best to? Who do I love the most? And I want to tell you that your worship belongs to the Lord. You may be giving it to another, but it belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. So this give me Christianity that we see on display, it's nothing new. Jesus even dealt with it in other places. Let me show you one real quick in John chapter 6. Or Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 6, verse 26. Now, if, if you're not familiar with this passage, this is uh, after Jesus had done a great miracle and he provided, he provided food. He provided food for over 5,000 people. And some of them, whenever they got that food in their belly, they started following Jesus because you know why? Not because of who he was, but because of what he did. In other words, perform it again. They were using him like a genie in a bottle. They were, they were trying to use God to get something that they desired. God desires you. Isn't it better to give God yourself than to try to manipulate God to give you something? Because God knows what you need more than you do. Sometimes we've got to let go of those things and grab hold of God. And so the, the, these guys, they saw the Lord. He multiplied. You remember the loaves and the fish and the, he fed the 5,000. And they go, ah, I got food in my belly. I'm going to follow this guy. Wherever he goes, I'm going to go because I'm going to eat again. How many of you know you get hungry? You might eat at 12, you get hungry at 3, right? Or five, whatever. But we get hungry again. It's the carnal nature of man. And they were following for what they could get carnally. This is give me Christianity. Give me, give me, give me. Not I give you me. They weren't following for who he was, but for what he did. Or what he could give. Look at what Jesus says in verse 26. Well, let's look at verse 25. Because Jesus supernaturally went to the other side. And he still will go supernaturally to the other side. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me. Not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. You can get a lot of folks by giving them bread. But they didn't see that it was God that did it. They just saw it was food. Come on. My pa one of my pastors used to say, you, you can build a church by giving out Hershey, Hershey chocolate. He said, but you better own a chocolate factory. Because once you run out of chocolate, they're going to run out on you. See, if, if you don't build a church on the word of God, it's just carnal. But when it's built on the word of God, it will not fall. It will not falter. It will endure. Watch this. 
He said that you, you only came because you ate the loaves and were filled. And listen to what he says in verse 27. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you. For him hath the Father, hath God the Father sealed. What is he saying? He said, guys, you're looking for something that is carnal. You're looking for meat that perishes. And I'm here to give you something that will never perish. You see, some people want a piece of bread from the Lord, and some people want the bread of life from the Lord. And, the, and that difference tells you where people are. Some people look at God as a genie. What you can give me, give me this. I want to better this. I want to better that. And other people just want him. And that's exactly what he says here. He says, stop laboring for the things that will pass away. The meat that perishes means that one day it's going to grow moldy, one day it's going to be in a junkyard, one day it's going away. If that is what you serve God for, you're following him for the wrong reason. But when you seek after him for that which is everlasting, for that which fades not away, for that which is eternal, your soul will be satisfied. Your soul will be satisfied. Some people, they serve God for what they can get. Some people serve God for the touch in the soul. And we'll finish our story. If you'll turn back over to, to Luke 17, we'll finish over there. Luke 17 so you see that this encounter with give me Christianity, it's not new. These 10 lepers or the nine that went their own way, it wasn't new. The Lord dealt with this throughout his whole ministry, and truth be told, he dealt with it before his earthly ministry. He dealt with it during his earthly ministry, and let's be honest, he's dealing with it now. Some people only serve God for what they can get carnally. Now, this Samaritan who gets touched, that touch goes from the skin to the soul. He turns back, worships God, comes down on his face, and gives thanks. And Jesus says to him, Arise, go thy way. Verse number 19. Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. You see, the touch of the soul is available to the whosoever if you're willing to go past where you've always been. If you're willing to go past where you've always been, God will meet you in that place of brokenness. God will meet you in that place and it will create in you a heart of gratitude and thankfulness of being set free. But I want you to see that all 10 of them all 10 of them were cleansed. Only one was made whole. Do you see that? You see, because some of them were looking just on the outer skirts of what God could do in their temporary situation. But one of them said, God had mercy on me. He, he contemplated, he meditated on it, he thought on it, and he said, wait a second. I'm healed. 
and I didn't do anything to receive it. I didn't work for it. I didn't buy it, and I sure didn't deserve it, but he did it. And when he thought that way, he turned around, and he gave honor to whom honor was due. And he got not only cleansed, but made whole because he determined in his heart to worship the king. And when we, when we transition from the give me Christianity to the I give me, this, this is worship. This is, it's no longer about what I can get. It's about what I can give you. you. You didn't have to set me free. You didn't have to deliver me. You didn't have to forgive my sin. You didn't have to save my soul. You didn't have to give me new life in Christ. You didn't have to break the chains of bondage. You didn't have to set the captive free, but you did. You did it, God. You did it, and you alone did it. And this one Samaritan, this one Samaritan who, listen, society looked down on, God lifted high. This one, oh, everybody thought, this guy is nothing. This guy is nothing. But look, he's, he's written about in the word of God he, he's written about in the word of God as an example for what devotion and worship is as to, to point us to see God's touch. God can touch you. God can touch you. But if you'll receive it, it'll go from surface deep to soul deep. And when God touches the soul, he changes you forever. God will do a work in you once and forever, but I want you to see that it is that soul touch that creates worship. Worship is not something you muster up. It's not something you got to muster up. It comes from the soul touch. And just like he told the nation of Israel, he said, you need to remember the rock that you came out of. Go back to the story of your testimony. Go back to that time that you first heard the gospel. Now, I know we live in a generation that the true gospel is not preached too much. The gospel is this, that every single person who is ever born is a sinner. Since the Garden of Eden, since Adam and Eve transgressed in the Garden of Eden, Man has been under the curse of sin. And every generation since Adam and Eve have been cursed by sin. And God teaches through his word that he is so holy that no sinner, no sinner, no sinner will ever go to heaven. That's how holy God is. And the gospel is this, because there are none righteous, no, not one. Because our righteousness, because the best me and you can do will never be good enough. Because our righteousness is like a filthy rag to God. Because of that, God sent the son 
the eternal son of God. He became a man. He did not lay aside his deity. He laid aside glory because he didn't want to blind everyone. But he was the God-man in flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 says he was God manifest in flesh. And Jesus lived on the earth a sinless life, went to the cross as a sacrifice for sin, unblemished. His blood, untainted. His nature, totally divine. Why? Hebrews chapter 12 says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And because he desired to bring you and me into reconciliation to a holy God, he allowed himself to be sacrificed for sin. And the Bible says that whosoever, whosoever believes in the death, burial, and on the third day, the resurrection of Jesus. You see, it's not only that he died for your sins, he also rose from the dead. He told those Pharisees, he said, you're gonna destroy this temple, but in three days, I will raise it up again. He said, this temple took 40 some odd years. How are you gonna raise it up in three days? And the Bible says, but he was talking of his flesh. He said, you're going to destroy this temple, but I will raise it up again. And he did. He came out of the grave on the third day, which was a Sunday. If you look at the, the, the Jewish feast, that's the feast of first fruits. The first day following the Sabbath after the Passover. Now, one of the things I want you to see, this gospel, it's for the whosoever, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all were transgressors and the gospel is available to all. Doesn't matter, red, yellow, black or white. Doesn't matter if you're from America, England, Australia or Timbuktu. God loves you. And Jesus, Jesus humiliated himself came to this wretched place, went to the cross to purchase your soul and gave himself freely, rising from the dead on the third day, giving you an object of your faith. The Bible tells us also in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. See, it's not about your faith. It's about your faith in him. It's about your faith in him. And that gospel, that gospel is available to the whosoevers. And when you receive it, knowing that you didn't do anything for it, it creates in you a heart of worship. Well, not only is it the saving, not only is it the, the, the salvation, not only is it the reconciliation, but listen, it is a saving from eternal damnation. One part of the gospel that is not often preached is that hell is still hot. God is still holy and hell is still hot. And every person who turns away from this gospel of Jesus Christ 
will spend eternity burning in torment of hell. Well, I don't like that. That makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, listen, Jesus preached about hell more than anybody. He preached more about hell than he did heaven. Go look it up. It's real. And those that reject the gospel of Jesus Christ will spend eternity there. So we have this gospel set before us, and it's glorious, and it's for the whosoever, and it's for the willing heart. It's to set the captives free. It's to rescue you from a, a eternal torment. And it's available today. And this is the gospel that God's given us to take out into the Samaria of our world, to take out into the, to the uttermost parts of our region. This is the gospel that God's given us, not the gospel of God will bless you, the gospel of God will save you. God will save you. God will set you free. God will change you. God will take you out of that rock that you're in. He'll take you out of that hard place, and he'll set you in a place of his own. And he will make your desert place become like the Garden of Eden. He will make your wilderness begin to flourish once again. He will cultivate and create in you a heart of worship and thanksgiving, and he will do for you he will do for you like he's done for anyone else god is no respecter of persons he loves every person the same and today today if if you know god thank him go back to him fall on your face and glorify him don't be like those nine who just trudge on Look, nothing is more important than lavishing praise on the king. And if you feel as one of the lepers today, I've got good news for you. Jesus still heals. Jesus still heals today. He still sets the captives free and he still has time today to change your life. If you feel as though an outcast, if you feel as though you're on the outs, if you feel as though you're, you're kind of a cast off of society, I want you to know you're a prime candidate for a touch of God. If you'll reach out, if you'll reach out, God will meet you in that place. The Bible says in James chapter four, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you will dare to draw near to God, he will meet you in the drawing. Just like the prodigal's father, when that prodigal son decided to come home, that prodigal son started marching on that road home. The father met him. Said the father ran. The father ran and met him and robed him and kissed him said, my son has come home. But look where I've been. Look what I've done. I don't care. My son, my daughter is home. But aren't you going to whoop me? Aren't you going to beat me? Aren't you going to make me like a slave? No. 
My child has come home. It's you that he wants. It's you that he wants to reconcile you, to redeem you, to restore you, to put a new heart in you. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to be in this place today, God. I know that it is not by chance, but by your hand that each of us are here.